give you thanks, Lord, for your servant Mark here. May you also bless him with your wisdom as you speak through him and that we can hear your word clearly, Lord, and give our hearts to understand what's being said to us this morning and fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, with your wonderful teaching. We thank you for Mark that he obeys you and that he does wonderful work in your holy name. So we bless him and his family and I give thanks once again for him. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you, Mark. Amen. Thank you, Bless you. Well, good morning. I wonder what is your purpose? Why don't you share with the person next to you? I don't know if you've given it any thought or if you have any idea, but what is your purpose? Just share briefly with the person next to you what your purpose is. Well, obviously, I don't know what you said, but let me introduce you to someone who I think whose, whose life purpose was quite clear. Perhaps by now you've heard the name Kobe Bryant in the news. He purposed to be the greatest basketball player he could be, and he was known in America where I grew up, watched him play. He was known for the hours he would spend shooting and working on his game and, 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 and molding his body. He was known for tenacity and dedication. He retired four years ago, and he was one of the greatest basketball players the world has ever seen. And he was in the process of transitioning from famous, well-loved, great athlete into more of a full-time father, uh, taking on responsibilities uh, in the community and his businesses. Three weekends ago, at the age of 41, Kobe died in a helicopter crash. And as far as I could tell, all of Kobe's purposes his achievements, his dreams were solely concerned with life before death. You see, God's purposes extend into eternity. And unless yours do as well, you may well face a life of constant disappointment and possibly on the day of Jesus' return be left behind. I've had the experience of being left behind. I'm sure you have too. I once missed a plane. I infamously missed a bus. I'm sitting at the bus stop reading a book, and I, I see the bus approaching, but I'm concentrating on the, on the book and don't realize that's my bus, and it just goes by. I've missed trains, and, you know, despite the hurt and the inconvenience, I eventually just caught the next available transport. Now, all of God's purposes, they, they culminate in Jesus. If you miss Jesus, there isn't another Savior coming behind. If you're not in Jesus, then on that day when Jesus comes, he will leave you behind. In Acts chapter 12, we see people in Jesus and in God's purposes and those outside of Jesus and outside of God's purposes. Let's discover together in Acts chapter 12 God's purpose through life and through death, which is to glorify himself and grow his church. 
And secondly, God's purposes prevailing. God will have the victory. So what is God's purpose? God's purpose is to glorify himself and to grow his church. Let's begin with the fact that God created everything for his glory. You know, he didn't have to create, but out of, out of sheer love, he wanted, to, he wanted to share liveness and life, his life, with others. And so to make it dead easy to recognize God as our creator, God stamped his glory all over creation. Psalm 19.1, for example, says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Isaiah 40.26 says, Look up in the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. How many of you love seeing a rainbow? That's, that's God's bow in the clouds. And it's a promise from God Almighty that he will never again flood the earth as he did in the days of Noah. How many of you love looking at the sea? I love looking at the sea. Don't like getting in it much, but I love looking at the sea. And the sea is full of God's glory. Psalm 104, 24 and 25 says, Lord, you created so many things. With your wisdom, you made them all. The earth is full of the living things you made. Look at the ocean, so big and wide. It is filled with all kinds of sea life. There are creatures large and small, too many to count. Look at your magnificent body, your body. Psalm 139.14 says, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully. That means we were created to be in awe of God. Wonderfully, it's just plain magnificent how everything in your body fits together and works together. Yet with all the glory God has given us, we just throw it away. We threw it all away. You know, it's fashionable to blame Adam and Eve for that, but just like Adam and Eve, when we are given clear, simple instructions from God, just like Adam and Eve, we do it our way. Sin, though, has not stopped God's purpose. Now, we also see God's glory in recreation. What do I mean by that? Well, in this weak vessel, if you, if, if you knew my lustful thoughts, if you knew my thoughts of revenge, if you knew my thoughts of pride, if you saw the sin I enjoy seeing if you heard the bitter, hurtful words which have emerged from these lips. Yet through God's grace, I am becoming more like Jesus. That is God's purpose. Look at Acts chapter 12, verse 24. It says, but the word of God grew and multiplied. One day in 1975, Jesus saved me from sin. And God's church grew. What does that mean, he saved me from sin? Well, all of us, no matter how good you are or how good your life is, no matter how bad you are or how bad your life has been, all of us are inflected with this disease called sin. It, it, it corrupts our nature, and then it comes out in our life. We might lie. We might cheat. We might steal. We disobey parents. We're lazy. 
and we do not have the power to change our nature. We can change our behavior. We can stop smoking, or we can eat the right foods, or we become less lazy, or we can control our language, but our nature is still corrupt. Only Jesus has the power to cleanse us from the inside in our nature. And that sin separates us from God. And it's an eternal separation. And Jesus has come as the only Savior. And when you realize in humility, when you realize that you are unable to save yourself and that you are separated from God, you have to do something called repent. You turn away from the, 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 the allure of sin. You, you turn away from, from the attractiveness of sin. You turn away from the power of sin and you turn to Jesus as the only Savior. I did that in 1975, and God's church grew. You see, and that's God's purpose, is to call people out of sin and unto himself for eternity. We are created for the glory of God, and we are created in the image of God. God's glory is eternal. 1 Timothy 1.17 says, Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And part of the image of God stamped in every human is eternity. For example, Daniel 12.2 says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. You know, one of the thoughts expressed after the death of Kobe Bryant was that he died too young. Now, Acts chapter 12 begins with what most would consider an untimely death. Let's look at God's purpose in death from Acts 12, 1 and 2. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Well, Acts 12 gives us some truthful perspectives on death. The first perspective is that death does not hinder the accomplishment of God's purpose. In verse 2, James is killed. But in verse 24, it says, but the word of God grew and multiplied. The second perspective is that death brings glory to God. How? Well, God said the wages of sin is death. James, who was a sinner, died. To God's glory, God kept his word. Furthermore, the specific death of James was foretold by God. In Mark chapter 10, verses 30 and 39, we find these words, but Jesus said to them, and he's talking to James and John, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism that I am baptized with, you will be baptized. Now, personally, I don't think those truths do a lot to remove the emotion and the sadness surrounding death, death still remains an unwelcome companion in our lives. But there's a third perspective, which I believe may go some way in, in helping remove some of the emotional turmoil of death. 
And it is this, God has ways of using death to further his purposes, which, remember, include rescue from eternal death, which is the human's greatest need. Look at a couple of examples of how death has accomplished this. First of all, remember the life and the death of Jesus. Now, in Jesus' death, both the thief and the centurion saw something unique in how Jesus died. Now, the centurion would have seen hundreds and hundreds of crucifixions. And you know what? He would have heard the criminals declaring they were innocent. He would have heard them cursing anyone around them, the king, the system. But Jesus remained silent at these false accusations against him. The centurion would have heard men pleading for their lives and pleading for mercy, especially at the beatings they were receiving. Yet Jesus, the centurion saw, didn't resist the beatings. The centurion would have known that Pilate had found Jesus innocent, yet he hears Jesus ask forgiveness for his accusers and those crucifying him. He watches as the thief places faith in Jesus. And then, of course, creation itself responds. Remember with the, the darkness, the three hours of darkness and the earthquake, and the centurion must have been good at maths because he puts two and two together and says, this man is the son of God. And so immediately in the death of Jesus, the church grows by one, possibly two. Another example, in 1956, Steve Saint. Jim Elliott and three other missionaries were killed. Their deaths increased missionary giving and increased the number of missionaries, especially from North and Latin America. One of the wives and a sister of one of the slain missionaries, a few years later, risked their lives to live among the tribe that killed those missionaries. The result was a number of conversions and so again, from death, new life sprung out. You know, even outside of Christian circles, death has a way of inspiring and motivating and focusing eyes on, on what is really important. I have a friend, for example, who is totally against Christianity, but he loves uh, American sport. And he emailed me this in response to Kobe Bryant's death. Yeah, man, really devastating. Just makes you realize how precious life is and what is truly important. Spend as much time with your loved ones as possible because we never know when it'll be our time to go. My best friend from high school, still a good friend, uh, he's a Christian serving God in the Czech Republic. He emailed me this. Interesting how many people have said if it can happen to Kobe, it can happen to anyone, as if they hadn't already understood that it can happen to anyone, anytime. And then he closes with a quote from the Bible, be watchful. You see, in this fallen world, we are separated from God. And that also separates us from truths concerning death. So God, still giving glory to himself, and in order to draw men unto him for salvation, uses death to inspire the church in evangelism and to cause people to consider eternity, which they usually don't do on a day-by-day -day basis. Well, that's God's purpose in death. What about God's purpose in life? Let's read Acts chapter 12, verses 3 through 17.
And because he, Herod, saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people <coughs> after Passover. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him, and a light shone in the prison, and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. Then the angel said to him, Gird yourself and tie on your sandals. And so he did. And he said to him, Put on your garment and follow me. So he went out and followed him and did not know that what was done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they were past the first and the second guard post, they came to the iron gate that leads to the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out and went down one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And when Peter had come to himself, he said, now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectations of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. And, and as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. Yet she kept insisting that it was so. So they said, it is his angel. Now Peter continued knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Uh, but motioning with, to them with his hand to keep silent, he declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, go, tell these things to James and to the brethren. And he departed and went to another place. Well, folks, it was life or death for Peter, and the church was powerless to help, but they prayed. You see that in verse 5. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Now, lots of prayers in the Bible consist of repeating God's promises back to him. So perhaps the church was pleading the promises of 2 Chronicles 20.15, or 1 Samuel 17.45-47, or Psalm 60.12, which says, God, tread down your enemy as you promised. Maybe they were praying, praying parts of Psalm 34, like verse 7, which says, The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him, and he delivers them. So perhaps they were reminding God, God, Paul fears you. Send your angel to rescue him. And by the way, that is a, a beautiful and honorable way to pray, to repeat God's promises back to him. It was life or death for Peter. And Peter also was powerless. I mean, look at verse 6. Peter was sleeping. That this was the night before he was due to be killed. He wasn't awake plotting his escape. He, he didn't have a piece of flint hidden in his belt, which he was using to cut through the change. He was helplessly chained between two guards with more sets of guards at the prison doors. 
But in verses 7 through 9, God sends an angel who releases Peter's chains and leads Peter out of the prison. Peter is still powerless. He's not in control. Remember, he's thinking this isn't even real. He's thinking this is a vision or a dream. It's not really happening. He doesn't realize it until verse 11. No, this is real. God has rescued me. See, it's amazing, isn't it? God is often accused of being too unloving or too powerless to prevent death. But we plainly see here that God does have sufficient power to prevent death. And when God does prevent death, when he preserves life, he does it so that he gets the glory. And that's what happened in verse 17. Peter declared to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And there would have been awe and thankfulness and rejoicing as the church heard this story. And Peter adds, go and tell these things to James and to the brethren, that so they also may be strengthened and encouraged in God. You know, God's word declares that every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above. I grew up in Texas, and my pastor in Texas, he was very good at reminding us that whilst miracles from God do occur, of course, usually, it's just in the ordinary flow of everyday life we see God do his thing. I was struggling with my taxes, and Justin hooks me up with his accountant, whose advice helps me tremendously. I complete my tax return, and we are facing a 12,000-pound tax bill. But you know what I've been telling people since January the 30th? That God cut our tax bill down to 3,000 pounds. And that declaration, you see, it tells people that God cares, that God does act today, that he does have the power to change situations. And it declares truthfully that I am limited and weak. I could do nothing about that tax bill. And as I declare how the Lord helped us financially, you see, people are then confronted with a choice because they also are weak and limited. So will they continue to trust in their limited ability? Or will they repent and, and, and choose God, whose love and power rescued me from crippling debt and rescued Peter from certain death? You see, in death or in life, and remember, even if God didn't reduce that tax bill, then I would have been declaring God in a different way, saying, well, we're depending on God to somehow provide the finances to pay this debt. You see, in death and in life, as God is declared, people are given an opportunity to consider God. And that opportunity is vital because God's purposes will prevail. Let's consider that truth. Look again at Acts chapter 12 too. Then he, Herod, killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. You read that, and you have to realize that the life of James does not end with Herod's sword. Remember Jesus on the cross? In Luke 23, 43, Jesus says to the dying thief, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. And folks, this is what James right now today is presently experiencing. He's experiencing life with Jesus unhindered by the barrier of sin. I want you to see something for yourself. If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. 
God's purposes will prevail. God's purposes are eternal. Repentance is a must. It's a loving invitation from God. The life of James has not ended. He's enjoying life with Jesus. Ephesians 1, 6, and 7 says it this way. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. James is presently enjoying eternal freedom in the very presence of Jesus. God's purposes will prevail. God's purposes are eternal. You must repent and put your trust in Jesus because on the other hand, Herod is also living eternally. But he is shut out from the presence of God. Look again at Acts 12, 1 through 3. Pick up on the attitude and character of Herod. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. You can see plainly that Herod did not live his life praising God, but sought praise for himself. Now look at Acts chapter 12, verses 20 through 23. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend, they asked for peace, because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So, verse 21, on a day set by Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, he sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. And the people kept shouting the voice of a god and not of a man. Verse 23, then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. Herod dresses himself to reflect the power he craves and he laps up the praise from the people. Now God has harsh words for the proud. For example, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 5 says, everyone who is proud in heart is detestable to the Lord. Be assured that he will not go unpunished. Now, since that's true, it's probably a good idea for us to check our pride. See if any of these might fit you. We all know of people who dress up their lives through social media and how important people's responses or likes are to their posts. Or perhaps pride comes through how we speak. Uh, perhaps we promote or justify ourselves or put other people down to elevate us. We surely know people who want attention and acceptance and wear brand names in the hopes of getting that acceptance. I told you how I have pride in my thoughts. Now, I, I don't think that comes out much publicly, but believe me, it's in there. And how do we handle praise? With a false humility or like a drug which increases self-satisfaction? You see, one reason God hates pride is because it, it simply increases self-dependency. Now, I, I would never say social media is of itself bad, nor is wearing brand name clothes of itself bad, nor is receiving praise for work well done. But know this, God judges every thought, every word, 
and every action. And it's not just the action, but the motivation behind every action. He also judges our response to the outcome of the action. So poor King Herod. Not only did he have to deal with Proverbs 16.5, but because in Acts 12.23 he did not respond properly to the constant, clear revelations of God's eternal glory, the Bible says this of such people. In 2 Thessalonians 1.9, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. Now, the middle of 2 Peter chapter 3 basically says that since God's purposes will prevail, that is motivation for the church to live in constant service and obedience. And that's what the church is doing in Acts chapter 12, verse 25. It says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. The amazing thing about this service is that it comes knowing that previously, Preaching was mocked. Demands were made that they stop preaching. Stephen had been killed. A great persecution had arose. And here in Acts chapter 12, James was killed and Peter was threatened with death. Yet the church continued to serve. You see, in death and in life, God's purposes will prevail. And the word of God will grow and multiply. What part will you play in that? Oh, praise the Lord, all ye nations, praise him, all ye people, for his merciful kindness is great towards us, and the truth of the Lord endureth forever. Praise ye the Lord. Psalm 117. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you've made your glory, the revelation of yourself so clear. Please open our eyes. Help us all to see you, to be caught up in you, to be moved towards you day by day, to remember these great truths from Acts chapter 12, and to go out in repentance, in trust, and in service to your glory for our satisfaction and for the sake of those still in darkness. Hallelujah. Amen.